folks. Welcome to podcast number six. I'm Justin Spencer-Young. Today, the subject matter is value creation. And I have a recording from a lecture that I did at the Gordon Institute of Business Science, commonly known as Gibbs. It was on the subject of value creation as I lecture there on various programs that relate to accounting and finance and investing. So this program, you'll notice there's interaction with the class and it's a lecture to a class rather than a discussion that you've heard from Sean and I over the last while. So the lecture took place over various sessions through the morning. I recorded some of those sessions and I've split it into two parts, value creation part one and value creation part two. So it's important to note that since I am lecturing to a class, I'm using various visuals on the overhead projector that you guys can't see. However, I've listened to it and the conversation that happens in the classroom and the terminology and the reference to what's on the overhead projector is fairly clear to the extent that it's quite easy to follow the conversation without seeing the visuals. And I hope in future to be able to add a visual dynamic to these podcasts so that we will be able to see those sorts of things. But I think for this piece of material, it's not the end of the world that you can't see it. So enjoy your listening and I welcome your feedback as usual. You can find me on Twitter at JustinSY00 and you can find Sean Temlet on Twitter at Sean Temlet. If you want to get in contact with us and give us your feedback and maybe tell us some more about what you want to listen to, that would be great. Also, tell a friend. We're looking to grow our audio listener base. Tell someone else, tell them about value creation and financial intelligence and get them to come along and have a listen to what Sean and I are talking about. So enjoy your listening. All right, guys, are we all in? Bit of coffee in the system? I'm glad you guys came back. I wasn't sure. That you... <laughs> We're just waiting for lunch. <laughs> just waiting for lunch. And after lunch, you're out of here. So what's that, guys? What is that? It's a graph. Definitely is. What is that graph telling us? It's going up. Okay, it's going up. And there is a trend, huh? There's a trend. Does it only go up? It goes down sometimes. So there's a heading on the top of that graph. What does all Z stand for? The all share index. What is the all share index? It's all the shares. It's an index with all the shares. Okay. All right. Which shares? Listed companies. On what stock markets? JSE. Ah, okay. So if I put up there the S&P 500, what would the graph be of? An index of which market? The New York Stock Exchange. All right. And if it was the Dow Jones Industrial Index? No, not Asian markets. Also US. And if it was the NASDAQ? It's also the US. Okay. The US has a number of different indexes and stock markets. But this is the All Share Index and the All Z represents the Johannesburg stock market and the companies listed on the JSE. How many companies are listed on the Johannesburg stock market? If you were to take a guess, 20,000. Come down. 1,000. Come down. You're closer with 500. It's about 400 companies listed on the JSE. 
Not exactly 400, it's about 400. And in fact, you've got to differentiate between listed companies and listed, in, listed instruments. How many companies are in that all share index if there are 400 listed on the, on the all share index? 400 companies listed on the JSE. How many are in the all Order All of them, because it's the all share index, isn't it? So here's the thing, it's not all of them. It's only 160 of them, roundabout, that are listed in the all-share index. Why? And it turns out that 160 companies on the JSE represents 99% of the value of the entire JSE. That says there's another 1% here, which is 240 by my maths. It represents 1% of the 400. Oh, why not just forget about them, eh? We only just need 160 and the others can... Because they're like rats and mice, aren't they? Thomas. Just a quick question. What does it mean? What does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean? So what they do is they take all of these companies on the JSE, not all of them, 160 of them, and based on the size of the company, they attach a, let's just call it for now, a rating. Okay? Just give it a number. And they aggregate the numbers for all these different companies. If you're a big company, you have a bigger rating. If you're a small little company, if you're number 160 on the list, you've got a sm smaller rating. And they consolidate these into a number that they can just use as a measurement. Call it the index. So it's according to the market cap of each company. What's the market cap? Number of shares listed on the exchange times the share price gets you this thing called the market capitalization which is the value of the company the bigger your value the more impact you have on the index okay so the index is not a rand denominated thing it's not like a value in rands it's just a value to denote size and we see this up the left hand side of my graph here this is the index this is a logarithmic scale by the way okay so we won't get involved in the maths it just means it straightens out this line instead of the line being a parabolic line, which is actually what share prices do. They go up in a parabola. So just the, the, the log index here just straightens this out. And at the moment, the JSE is sitting at a value of around about 60,000. It's just under 64 there. That's kind of where it is. And you can just compare it here to say, well, where was it in 1985? It was at 1,000. That's a lot of growth that's happened since then. The index has gone up. It doesn't go straight up. There are times when it comes crashing down, like over there. It fell by 43% in 1987. And then there was an Asian financial crisis here where the world went into panic because they thought the companies and countries in Asia had too much debt. And there was fear. People started selling shares. And then we had an interest rate crisis in South Africa where interest rates were right up at 16 and 17%. That was in the mid-2000s or early 2000s. And then we had this commodity boom in South Africa that took us all the way up to 2008, 2009, and we were sparked here by the financial crisis in the U.S. And we had a 42% decline in the market. And since then, the market has grown, it's recovered, and it got here to around about 2014, 15, and then for three years, it went sideways. And now there are signs, there are just signs there that the market is starting to grow again. Since about April last year. So why do I show you this? Because I'm going to make the connection. 
between why this is important and how it links back to the conversation that we had before T around the income statement and the balance sheet. It's closely linked. Does anyone have money invested in there? If you have a pension fund or retirement annuity or provident fund, you have money invested in there. I'm going to guess that is most of you. If we were to go and find just the top 40 companies, that would represent between 84 and 85% of the value of the total. Just 40 businesses in South Africa. And these 40 businesses represent 25% of the gross domestic product in South Africa. It's a big deal, isn't it? Eh? Those are the companies who are paying the tax. Those are the companies that are employing the people, who are paying PAYE, which is going to fund the state, pay for all the public sector wages and other things. But <laughs> that, is the, that is the biggest expense in South Africa, the public sector wage bill. So those of you who've got money invested in there, your retirement annuity or your provident fund or your pension fund, what returns have you been getting over the last, what did you get last year? What did you get over the last five or ten years as a return on your money? Does anyone know? Between eight and nine? I just want to check that we are talking about your money here. Huh? Okay? Because I'm getting a whole lot of kind of blank looks like, I don't know. What I've You're going to wait till retirement. Okay. Huge fees, yeah, they do, don't they? 12%. Is 12% okay? Is 12% good? Not really. Not really. What would be good? What would be a good return? What would you want? 20 plus. Okay, you'd be living in dreamland if you wanted 20 plus. Yeah? Yeah, 16 to 18%. All right, so there's a number that I put there at the top. It's the cumulative average growth rate, which is 18%. And you see it says they're including dividends. So typically what that means is you're going to get share price growth, which is going to be around about 16% per annum over the long run, over the duration of my graph there, which goes back to 1980. And then you're going to get a dividend as well, between 2 and 3% per annum. So let's go 16% plus the 2% dividend. Let's be conservative here. And we are at 18%. Average return to shareholders over, how many years is that? 38 years. Now that's an average, eh? because look, what happened here? You had minus 43% returns in 1987. So what generally happens when the market starts to crash like that? What do people do? A panic, hey? Fear sets in. So I have a philosophy that humans are driven by two emotions, mostly. There are others, but two emotions, mostly. Anyone want to guess what they are? Fear and? Greed. There we go. Fear and greed. <laughs> And as it turns out, fear is a much stronger emotion than greed. That's why the markets go down faster than they go up. Because when there's fear around, what people want to do is they want to get out. They want to sell. And when there's too many people selling, there are not enough people buying. And the reality is, if you want to sell, someone else has to buy. And if there's no buyer on the other side, the price goes down until someone says, I'm ready to buy. And if there's no one ready to buy, the price keeps going down until someone has enough greed in them to say, ah, it's gone far enough and I'll buy here. I've got this magical 
magical toy. It's a time machine. We can go back to 1980. And we're going to take with us some money. And we're going to go and invest it in the market. Way back here in 1980. And we're going to do a little comparison. What return or how much money would you have after 38 years? We'll go, we'll go 37 because 2018 is not finished. We've got 37 years. How much money would you have if you invested it in the market back in 1980? And we're also going to test how much money would you have if you put that same amount of money into your pension fund or retirement annuity? What would the difference be? So how much money should we take with us? Everything. Hey, everything. <laughs> You've seen the graph now, so you want to take it all. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to suggest we take 100,000 Rand with us. And we're going to take that money back to 1980. So go and... Sell whatever assets you can. Go and raise yourself 100,000 rands in cash and come with me in this time machine. So there's a few things that we need to be clear of when we go back in the time machine. We want to know how far are we going so we get to the right date. That's 37 years. We want to come back. Hey? We don't want to stay in 1980. Just checking that. Certainly not in South Africa. Huh? Not in 1980. So let's do this. Here's my time machine. It's called a Mac. And on this Mac... It has a spreadsheet. And our spreadsheet is going to take us back in time. So we are going to make an investment. Let me make that bigger so that you can, can see what's going on here. This investment is going to be a hundred thousand rand. How do you know that's a hundred thousand rand? Can you count the zeros? Alt HK. Is that easier? Okay. Let's take the Decimals out. It's easier to tell that that's 100,000 Rand. And what is our return going to be? We're going to use the 18%. Eh? And we need a timeline. 37 years. So we're going to do a calculation here, which is called the future value. Because, of course, we're going to be back in 1980, and we want to know what's the future value in 2017. So to calculate a future value, you are going to take your investment... And you are going to multiply it by 1 plus your return. So let's just start with that piece of the equation. If you took your investment and you multiplied it by the return only, you would get 18% of 100,000, wouldn't you? All right. But by putting a 1 in the front, what effectively it's going to do is it's going to add the 18% to your 100,000. All right, so that's what I've done, just for one year's calculation. So it's going to take your 100,000 and multiply it by 1,18. That does it once, but we wanted to do it how many times? 37. 37 times. So we're going to say to Excel, whatever calculation you do here, you must make this to the power of the number of years. What that will do is it will take the 18% growth and add it to the 100,000, and then it will use the 118,000 to calculate the next 18% and add it to that. And this thing will grow in a compound way over 37 years. So let's put the formula in here. I'm going to take 100,000, multiply it by, open brackets, 1 plus. There's the 18%. Close brackets. Shift 6 gets you this little cuppy, 37. Let's see what comes out. 
Sure. What is that number? There is no Zuma number. Shift six is the copy. Your 100,000 Rand that you took back with you in your time machine 37 years to the year 1980 and invested it in the market. You did nothing else other than just leave it in the market. It's now worth 45 million and some change. You see, I call 670,000 Rand just some change in the context of 45 million. All you did was you left it. Let me show you why she hasn't got that amount of money. I'm going to copy and paste this over here. Same calculation. Now she's invested in her pension fund. So what return did she get in her pension fund? Seven comma. Oh, it's a little bit on the low side. If you've got that, then sure, that's not so lucky. So here's what happens. The South African government has their say in how your pension money is invested. And they say, that graph that I showed you, it's like really risky. If you invest your money in equities, you could like lose it all. I don't know, could you? In theory. Yeah. If you invested in Steinhoff, you've lost all your money. Okay, well like 90% of it. Okay, You could have lost it, definitely. So that's why we don't put everything in one place. That's why we spread it, the portfolio effect. But what the South African government, and they've just had I told you so moment with Steinhoff. They said, you see, it's risky, isn't it? Told you so. So therefore... We're going to, we have this law, it's in the Pension Funds Act, and in the Pension Funds Act they have this, what do you call it, 28, eh? Regulation, Regulation 28, there we go, where they say 25% of your money, or let's do it the other way around, 75% can be invested in the market, the other 25% should be in government bonds, or property, in other words they're saying you should rather lend your money to the South African government. Twenty-five percent of your money is being lent to the South African government by way of purchasing government bonds, which is the money that government borrows in order to maintain South Africa Incorporated. So what return do you get from government bonds? About nine percent. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. A little bit under that at the moment. I'm looking for a graph... Yeah. So this is called the 20-year government bond. It has a technical name called the R186. Don't ask me where that name comes from. I don't know. Someone might know. Back in 1999, if you had bought government bonds, you'd be getting a yield of around about 15% per annum. And back then, we were very young in our democracy. These days, you get a yield from your government bonds that is... A little bit better than this. If I updated this, you'll see this comes a little bit closer to 8%. But the average here, certainly over from around about 2004, has been about 8% return from government bonds. What does that graph tell you about South Africa? So it's not really a growth graph. It doesn't tell you much about growth. It tells you more about risk. Was South Africa a risky place in 1999? And when I, when I say risk... I say if you, were a, if you were a fund manager in the United States and you had some money to allocate to emerging markets and South Africa would come onto your radar, 
would you think South Africa to be high risk or low risk in 1999? All right, so this graph is saying back there that it was very high risk. So we were just kind of going into our second national election. And I can guess the fund manager who had any knowledge of South Africa would say, well, could they do this again? They had the first election, it was free and fair and so on. Can they do it again? Let's wait and see. Why don't we just wait for the next election before we invest? Because maybe that's a bit of a risk. All right. They would also ask questions around what's the sophistication of the banking system in South Africa? Right. It turns out that we've got a really sophisticated banking system. Over time, it's proved to be one of the ro most robust and well-managed financial system in, in the world. That fund manager would also ask questions about whether the judiciary is independent of the government. And if they're going to buy assets or invest in that country, would they be able to take anyone to court who challenged them around the ownership of those assets? And when they get an independent judgment, that's really important. And they would also ask questions around the stock market and its liquidity and whether it trades in a way that represents the value. Okay, they didn't know all these things in 1999. We just kind of popped up on the world's radar as a, as a place to invest. But what happened over these years in the early 2000s is South Africa, South Africa proved itself to be a lot less risky than was originally thought. The banks, the courts, the stock market, all those sorts of things, free and fair elections, and the world said, right, this place is getting less risky to invest in. In other words, our debt in South Africa was costing us less and less and less because we were lower risk. So the age-old saying about risk and return, if the risk goes down, the investors expect a lower return. If the risk goes up, they expect a higher return. Now, there are certain events that happen along the way, and we've seen some of these already. So what happens in an Asian financial crisis it turns out that South Africa gets lumped together with a whole lot of other countries when you think uh, emerging markets. So in Asia, let's call it uh, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, those sorts of markets, when there's fear, well, the Americans take their money and they sell their assets and they run back to America with their money. They did exactly the same thing in South Africa at that time. So this is, this is fund managers getting out of bonds going back to the U.S. They used to call it a flight to safety. The capital just kind of rushes out of the country. Then they come back and they say, oh, you know what? 8% uh, or 10% return in South Africa is really good, especially compared to getting like 1% as a return on bonds in America. 8% is much better. And it seems like we leveled out here at around about 8%, and there were some events along the way. So here's the financial crisis of 2008. And here was some event that happened in December 2015 where the world looked at South Africa as like, what the hell are you doing? You know, this is adding to your risk. Therefore, we are selling the bonds and you see the bonds go up. So you see how bonds spike up and we saw in the equity market, it spikes down. Does the opposite because this is a liability and equities are assets. So they behave differently. So we could use this. We could say if you invested in government bonds, why don't we use a number of around about 8%? So here's what's going to happen. We're going to come over here. We're going to do a little weighted average calculation. Where we're going to say, if you invested in the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, and you took 75% of your money, and you invested it at a return of 18%, 
But the government bond, you're going to put 25% in there at a return of 8%. So let's calculate this. What is 75% of 18? Test that on your calculator. See what pops up. Be sure that you can do that, calculate, that calculation. If you've got an Apple phone, then there's a calculator that generally works quite well on it. If you've got a Samsung, I have no idea. <laughs> I heard they break into flames, so just <laughs> careful. What is 75% of 18? 13.5. So you see what I'm doing here? Just ignore the percentage. Just say 75% of 18, you get 13.5. Put the percentage back. What is 25% of 8? That's an easy one, isn't it? 2%. Add these two together. 15 and a half. Alright, so you see what has happened to your returns. If you invested in the market directly, we would be using a number of 18%, which is what I used in my calculation with my time machine. But the government is saying to you, no, 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 that's risky. So now we're down to 15 and a half percent. What's your name? Stephen. Okay, Stephen. It's well known in this class that if you have a name tag, you get much higher marks. Huh? <laughs> you said something about fees a moment ago. So this money is being invested in your pension fund or your retirement annuity, where there's supposedly some very smart folks who manage that money. So who do you, who do you pay this money to? Who manages it? Fund, so before the fund manager, there's, a, so there's an asset manager... That's like an Alan Gray, if you know that name. But before that, there's like a pension fund administrator. Do you know any of those companies? Did you say Alexander Frauds? Alexander. You did say that, didn't you? Alexander Frauds. I'm sure you said Frauds. You said, I didn't say you said it. Okay, so these folks who collect your money together... And they pass it on to the asset managers. Okay? But if you've been to Alexander Forbes's, not frauds, eh? Don't. <laughs> they charge you a fee. It's like 1%. That's all they want. It's not a lot, eh? Just 1%. All right? They charge you this fee. But they, all they do is they send you the paperwork and handle the administration. They pass the money on to the asset managers. These are the smart folk, eh? These are the smart folk at Alan Gray. Ash Burton. Yeah. There's a few of these guys. You'll come across Coronation or Prudential. Um, of course, there's Investec Asset Management. Most of the banks have got an asset management arm. Has anyone been to... Or does anyone know where the Allen Gray offices are in Cape Town? Yeah, they're there at the waterfront. As you drive in past that other business school that they have down there. Okay. The offices that are just after that is where Allen Gray are. Those are probably the most expensive office space in the country. Now, if you go down in the basement of Allen Gray there, you won't see any VW polos. <laughs> now, for those of you who drive a VW polo, it's not my intention to insult you in any way. Just know that the cars in that basement are Lani Lani cars. Because their fee here is like 2.5%. 
I'm going to be conservative and I say, let's call it just 2%. And we're going to see just now how much money this turns out to be. All right. So you're paying these folks because they know stuff and they're the smart people who are going to manage your money. Okay, because why, why do they do it? You don't have the time? Or what other message are you sent? It's too complicated. You're not smart enough. You don't know what to do. This is complicated space, eh? Alright? Yeah, they'd like do it for everybody. Yeah. But basically, they don't want you messing with this, eh? So take out the fees, and what are we left with? Are we at 12 and a half? You see where we've come from? If you did it yourself. But if you get them to do it, and you have to be invested in government bonds and lending your money to the South African government, look where you end up. Alright, let's go back to our time machine. So all I have to do now is I need to take this 18% and just put in there 12 and a half and the new number is going to magically pop out. You want to take a guess at what it's going to be? 7.8. We've done the maths already. Alt H0. There we go. What just happened? So let's go and find out if we didn't have to pay these smart folk. We can make this number 15,5, can't we? What's the difference between this level and this level? That one minus that one. That's what you're losing out because these smart folk who are managing your pension fund can you see why there are no VW polos in that basement? <laughs> ah, is it illegal? Yes. Can, you, can you just decide, I don't want to be in a pension fund? No, they don't give us the option. They don't have the option. In other words, it's a condition of your employment. Yes, that's why you must be employed. Yes, isn't that convenient, eh? <laughs> hey? You have to invest in the company pension fund, otherwise. Do you have control over the percentage that you contribute of your salary? You do actually. Yes, you, can. you can go up to as much as 27.5 or something, whatever the number is, percent. That's tax deductible. I um, uh, make the minimum of 10. Okay. So th I, I'm just trying to get my mind around this. This is your money that you hand over to these folks because you are told to under contract by the company you work for. Do we live in a free market or what? Oh, wow. Now I know why I am unemployable. <laughs> because I would never sign that. There's no way I would hand my money over. The reality is we all very clever people who've worked for a long time. Yeah. So you know the concept, but you've never seen that number. So this is the power of compounding. And Albert Einstein said this is the most fantastic human invention. The only problem is so few humans know about it. And they'll conveniently tell you that you're too busy and you're not smart enough and this is too complex. And I'm going to call bullshit on all of that. You can do it yourself. Now, let me be very clear. The message, what I'm not saying, 
I am not saying go to your broker tomorrow morning or Monday morning and pull your money out of your pension fund. Okay, I'm not saying that. Okay, don't take that message away. Okay, I'm going to refine my message in a moment. I want to put some responsibility in your hands. So I'm going to tell you a story. 